District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I'm going to discuss why the Bruin decision from the Supreme Court that was issued last week is a win for gun rights. We're going to briefly talk about the implications of the new gun control bill signed into law by President Biden, especially with the fact that 15 or so Republicans who purport to be for the Second Amendment also joined in. And I'm going to discuss the absurdity over the proposal of, in red states, permitting abortion on public lands in the wake of the Dobbs decision and why that actually violates federal law under the Hyde Amendment and is actually not being well received by many Democrats and even environmental leftist organizations. So bear with me as we deconstruct these three news topics today. I was taking off to go to Los Angeles when I saw the Supreme Court handed down the decision in New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin to finally clarify that Americans, specifically those would-be permit holders or concealed carry permit holders, do not have to have proper cause or prove they need a reason to obtain a concealed carry permit anymore. Previously, in the Heller versus D.C. decision, it clarified that gun owners do not need to have proper cause to keep guns in their homes. Now we have this decision clarifying that you don't need to have proper cause to demonstrate why you need to get a concealed carry permit to conceal carry outside your home. This essentially overturns the remaining May issue laws in about eight to nine states, largely Democratic blue states, where you have to have a cause. You have to claim that your life is under threatened. And even in localities and major cities in those blue states, they make it increasingly difficult for regular people who are not wealthy or celebrities to obtain concealed carry permits. So this will make the permitting scheme a lot easier. It will restore rights to people who lost their gun rights, legal gun owners. And I think it will set the door for many more gun control policies to be invalidated in the future. But for those of you who are worried that this will create like the Wild West situation and it applies to open carry, this does not apply to open carry. This is basically saying you have a right to conceal carry and obtain a concealed weapons permit without having to go the extra mile to do so. You don't need to have, again, a proper cause. You can just do it because you have the willingness to do it. I think what goes into people deciding to get a permit, and I'm one of them, I would rather have a concealed carry permit and not need it rather than need it and not have it. That's what logically goes into people's minds when they are applying for permits. And Virginia is a shall issue state. I'm really lucky. And I've had my permit... Gosh, I think six, seven years. I just renewed it a couple of years ago. So I'm into my second, I would say, term as a concealed permit holder, a concealed carry weapons permit holder here in Virginia. And I'm really excited by the prospect of people in those remaining states now being able to have similar access and similar opportunities. But we do start to see some resistance from states like California, where they still want to put restrictions on your ability to obtain a permit easily or without having to prove, you know, go through the hoops to prove why you need it. 
So we will see some obstacles there. I will read for you briefly the decision. It was a six to three decision handed down. And Justice Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion, and he writes the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. We know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. And I am reading from the reload, of course, and then I will read for you from the Farms Policy Coalition about what is applicable here in response to this ruling. So Stephen Gutowski writes that this significantly expands the court's interpretation of the Second Amendment. It is the third major ruling in a gun case since the adoption of the Constitution. He writes that this will impact other states, including California and New Jersey, that have similar gun carry laws, while only eight states use the May issue standard invalidated by the court. Those states hold about 25% of the U.S. population. And Stephen also added that the court also clarified the standard of review lower courts should follow in deciding Second Amendment cases, a change likely to cause even further shifts in gun laws across the country. Most significantly, if you guys follow this really closely, it rejected a second part of the two-step framework many federal courts have used to uphold gun law since the landmark Heller decision, which recognized Second Amendment protections extend to individuals. And Justice Thomas wrote, despite the popularity of this two-step approach, it is a one step too many and much more. Stephen has a great write-up. You can read the decision for yourself. Let's read briefly. What does this explainer do? And so the folks at Firearms Policy Coalition solicited questions from the public about what does this apply? Where does this apply? Um, how does this affect your ability to conceal carry outside the home? Does it apply to open carry? Does it not apply to open carry? Does it strike down future or other laws relating to restricting your ability to get guns or to own guns or to conceal carry? And I'm going to read for you basically what this means. So one question they pose is what does this mean as a practical matter for people where the laws are similar? The court's decision has a few important implications for people in Mayshu states. The Second and Fourteenth Amendment protect the right of peaceably people to carry firearms in public for self-defense. Government licensing authorities throughout the nation cannot require any kind of special need to be articulated by licensed applicants. And when analyzing the Second Amendment claims, lower courts cannot use a two-step approach or apply weak, tiered scrutiny. Instead, the courts will have to perform a historical analysis and determine if the conduct or instrument is protected. If it is protected and the person is not prohibited under constitutional standards, the challenger should win. This test applies beyond carry cases and will be important in our lawsuits challenging bans on so-called assault weapons, handgun rosters, and micro-stamping in other cases seeking to enjoin unconstitutional restrictions on protected firearms and conduct. Um, and then they, someone asked them, does this decision mean you don't need to carry a permit for having a gun concealed or otherwise outside your home anymore? Or does this mean law enforcement may still require a permit? I want to preface it by saying half of the country is now constitutional carry. So half of the country does not require you to present a permit, but many states still, including Virginia, require you to have a permit to carry concealed outside your home. And they say today's decision means that if states restrict firearm carry to those only who first obtain a license, then the person must be allowed to carry unless prohibited from exercising Second Amendment rights under constitutional standards. Does this mean that people can carry into stores, coffee shops, and other businesses? It is likely to mean that peaceable people must be allowed to carry in most public places. 
And then they cite in the New York case, put simply, there is no historical basis for New York to effectively declare the island of Manhattan a sensitive place simply because it is crowded and protected generally by the New York City Police Department. And then they asked, does this take effect immediately and does, or does someone have to sue and go through the legal process before other states' restrictions change? They say that this decision is binding on all lower courts. Current and future cases filed in various jurisdictions will address enforcement of similar laws. And while the remedies in the case apply directly to the parties, law enforcement throughout the nation would be wise to immediately consider the decision and their unconstitutional policies and stop violating fundamental rights. Let's talk briefly about President Biden signing into law the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And across the Second Amendment spectrum and across like the firearms industry, people were open-minded. They wanted to see what they could concoct with respect to this. But not surprisingly, a lot of red flags, no pun intended, emerged from this. And I'm, again, reading from the reload from Stephen Gutowski exactly what this means. It's the first federal gun legislation in decades. It was signed into law on Saturday by President Biden. About 14 to 15 Republicans joined Senate Democrats. It was also passed in the House. And President Biden was remarked as saying that their message to us was to do something. This was largely in response to Uvalde. President Biden said, how many times have you heard that? Just do something for God's sakes, just do something. And we did today. And this was largely initiated by Senator John Cornyn of Texas, who largely has been on the good side of the firearms industry. What Senator Cornyn was remarked as saying in response to the passage of this, since the shooting, my office has received tens of thousands of calls, letters and emails with a singular message, do something. A negotiator from the Republican side said in a floor speech, not do nothing, but do something. I think we found some areas where there is some space for compromise. And while Democrats did not get the assault weapons ban, universal background checks, this does still have some troubling aspects to it. Stephen warns that the new law could have far-reaching consequences given that Americans of any age who committed a crime as a juvenile but never faced legal trouble as an adult suddenly find themselves unable to legally buy guns or ammunition. Since those records have traditionally been sealed in most states, it is impossible to know for sure how many people will be affected. And Stephen also notes that the deal does not include any priorities of gun rights advocates at all. However, it does include hundreds of millions in funding for mental health crisis programs and school security initiatives favored by Republicans and some gun rights groups. It also makes funding for red flag laws optional for state and provides alternative programs which are eligible to receive some funds. It also includes, as Stephen notes, seemingly redundant prohibition of straw purchases and gun trafficking, as well as a change in the standard of who needs to obtain a federal license to legally sell guns. It came after a month after the horrific shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. The NSSF also came out against this, too. They, this is what they said in terms of their statement issued June 23rd. While the NSSF understands the need for law enforcement to intervene in circumstances when someone is an imminent threat to themselves or others, we have steadfastly maintained that that intervention involves removing a person's firearms. There must be strong due process protections in place. Current extremist protection orders that exist in 19 states do not come close to providing adequate due process protections when the government deprives someone of their fundamental constitutional rights. We cannot support the use of taxpayer dollars to implement more such unconstitutional laws without specific and ironclad assurances. Due process rights will be protected. A key takeaway before I move on to this last subject, I think the so-called 15 pro-Second Amendment Republicans, many of whom are not up for re-election or are 
just reelected, they will have to answer for if this law is proven to be ineffective, which I think a lot of us suspect will be the case, why they supported this. And we've heard Democrats be quoted in different D.C.-based publications saying that they got them here. Maybe they'll be open to supporting large sweeping gun control policies in the future. So these Senate Republicans didn't do themselves any favors by supporting this, especially if it turns out to be ineffective, as we forecast will be the case with this, because that's largely what it is. They're not tackling the problem. And are these health funds going to be used positively? That remains to be seen. Is it going to infringe on people's rights? Is it going to be duplicitous in nature? Those are the questions that Stephen and others were asking and have put out there for us to understand. So cast a skeptical eye and fellow conservatives and Republicans hold these members' feet to the fire because if something happens and they betray us again, it'll stem back from this first sign of concession. So we do not want them to do this. And if uh, it turns out to be problematic, they need to be accountable for voting in this manner. I do not like weighing on social issues here on the podcast, but because this does touch upon public lands, I do have to weigh in on this. I'm very compelled to do so. Last week, of course, was when the Dobbs decision was handed down that basically overturned Roe v. Wade and returned the issue to the states. It does not outlaw abortion, but it returned the abortion issue to the states, seen as the laboratories of democracy where this issue should take place. But naturally, in response to this, we see several Democratic lawmakers say that the Biden administration should encourage in red states where abortion, they claim, will be outlawed, although it's not going to be outlawed in many states. Again, it just returns to the states. The states will decide what will happen on this issue. But Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Ocasio-Cortez both propose that federal lands in red states, so let's say, for example, national parks in Utah or national parks in South Dakota or national parks in Texas, like Big Bend, they should become available for performing abortions. And the rationale is quite problematic when you talk about, you know, having it on tribal lands. There's a lot of problems with that given the history of forced sterilizations on native populations. And you even have people from the Biden administration saying, whoa, hold up, we cannot do this. And here's why they can't do this. There is a law called the Hyde Amendment, or it's a provision in Congress more so, that prohibits the federal government from funding abortion on, you can't use federal funds, excuse me, to pay for abortion outside the exceptions of rape, incest, or if the pregnancy is determined to endanger the woman's life. So they're constitutionally barred from doing this given the Hyde Amendment being law. So you can't do this on federal public lands. And let's talk more about their reasoning. So it was the White House press secretary who told reporters that there are dangerous ramifications to providing abortions on federal lands following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And they said, we understand that this proposal is well-intentioned, but here's the thing. It could actually put women and providers at risk. Most importantly, in states where abortion is now illegal, women and providers who are not federal employees, as you look at the federal land, could potentially be prosecuted. This is actually dangerous. There's actually dangerous ramifications to doing this. 
And they again mention, I alluded to the Native American component. Additionally, while Native Americans receive health care through the Federal Indian Health Service, the Hyde Amendment blocks the use of federal funding for abortions, except in cases of rape, incest, or if the pregnant person's pregnant woman life is at risk. Let's, let's use correct language. Let's not politicize that. I am going to read for you from E&E News, and it actually has a lot of public lands groups commenting about this who are probably privately in support of abortion. I suspect given their leanings to the Democratic Party, they are. But even a lot of public lands advocates who may lean more to the left said that this would be problematic. Public lands experts say they aren't expecting abortion clinics to pop up on federal lands overseen by agencies like the Bureau of Land Management or the Forest Service. Offering abortion services on these properties would almost certainly require congressional approval, said Bill Snape, an environmental law professor at the American University and senior counsel for the Center for Biological Diversity, one of our favorite groups, litigious groups. Redirecting money without getting approval from Congress, which holds the purse strings for the federal government, would almost certainly draw legal challenges, he added. It seems like that would strike a lawsuit from the other side if they just took money for wild horses and decided to provide abortions, he said, of federal lands management agencies. There is a hurdle, of course, with the Hyde Amendment that bars federal funding from going to abortions via programs, including Medicaid, Medicare, and the Indian Health Service, as well as the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program. Looking to agencies like BLM and the National Park Service for health services also wouldn't necessarily be practical as turning to agencies like the Veterans Affairs or Department, Defense Departments, which already have the infrastructure to provide health care services. And what is it? Center for Biological Diversity's land, Public Lands Program Director Randy Spivak likewise questioned the feasibility of using public lands for abortion access, noting that many sites are isolated or far from population centers. Aside from visitor centers, they don't have facilities to accommodate these kinds of procedures and personnel. So even this administration, which supports abortion, has said this idea, opening up abortion clinics on federal public lands, would not make any sense. The National Park Service's mantra is for the betterment and enjoyment of all people. If the most vulnerable among us cannot enjoy, even in, let's say, a woman is pregnant, um, that makes no sense. So why do we have to see the continued politicization of national parks or public lands in this manner? Even preservationists understand that this is extremely wrongheaded. And regardless of where, where you fall on this issue, I'm pro-life. I make no qualms about that. To enjoy public lands, you shouldn't fall one way or another. It's not just pro-choicers who enjoy public lands. Even pro-lifers like me enjoy and recreate on public lands. And then people say, well, it's a paradox that you're pro-life and you like to hunt and do this, but you can actually do both. But anyway, public lands are not just for one interest group. Again, the National Park Service, which is one part of the umbrella of the National Public Lands ethos, does not restrict people's ability to enjoy it should be for everyone in utero or not in utero a lot of women who are pregnant go to national parks and it makes no sense again just the optics are terrible and like i said regardless of how you fall on the decision i think let's let's take away politics from the national parks and from public lands let's, let's enjoy even the left agrees that this would be violating norms so take what they say and Let's go from there. But it's, it's asinine. And I'm going to explain more as to the problems of this in my town hall column on Friday. So I'm very curious to hear what you say. I know some of you listening may be like, oh my God, that's so wrongheaded. Why is she talking about this? Like she's crazy. She's a pro-lifer. 
But public lands are not just for pro-choicers. Public lands are for everyone, including pro-lifers. So, hey, good on the Biden administration. We'll give them a win here for not pursuing this idea. And that's a loss for Senator Warren and also Representative Ocasio-Cortez. It is expected that tomorrow the Supreme Court will hand down a decision on West Virginia versus EPA, which could rein in how much power the Environmental Protection Agency has over climate affairs. And I actually had gotten together with Mandy Gunasekara, who is former chief of staff to Andrew Wheeler, who was previously EPA administrator, the last EPA administrator, one of the two in the Trump administration. And we work together at IWF very closely. And she will likely join us after the ruling is decided if it is tomorrow and if we expect it to go in the conservative court's majority, it is to be expected. She will weigh in on the decision. She's very familiar. She'll talk about the Chevron doctrine. So I will have that for you guys tomorrow, shortly after, if it is expected to be ruled on, the West Virginia versus EPA decision. So don't miss out my conversation with Mandy if that does happen sometime in the early afternoon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.